0: This is Fayette Forward, where we discuss trails, transit, city planning, and anything else that's on our minds.
1: Our goal is to keep Fayetteville moving forward in a positive, inclusive, and intentional way that benefits everyone who lives in this great city in the Ozarks. You ready? Come on in.
0: Hello, welcome to Fayette Forward. Today we've got Ward Davis is the founding partner of High Street Real Estate and Development, a real estate company focused on urban and new urban properties in vibrant growing cities and towns, including many of them here in NWA. And we wanted to have Ward on because we talk a lot about urbanism and about advocacy and trying to help with affordable housing, create more housing, all of this stuff that we love to discuss here. But we haven't really had a chance to get the developer's perspective, and Ward does a lot of development here in the city, and we just thought we'd learn a lot just from talking to him and picking his brain on a lot of these topics. So welcome, Ward. Good to see you guys. Yeah, it's good to have you.
1: Thanks for coming in. And it was great to meet Ward. I wanted to add that we met him at the ULI Place Summit, where Nick and I were able to volunteer. And it was a really great place and a great opportunity to meet people like Ward in the city. And if anybody ever wants to volunteer for that summit in the future, it is a really good opportunity to meet other urbanists.
2: It's a good one. You know, I think that as a group, we needed to all get together once a year. And I think ULI is, you know, providing a great framework for that. So I'm looking forward to the next one next year. Yeah,
1: definitely. Definitely. Well, would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself and notably how you got into development and your interest in urbanism specifically?
2: I got in development about the same time I got formally interested in urbanism, but from a really weird um, direction. So my background is economics and um, finance. So I went to graduate school and studied finance and after business school went to uh, work for the Stevens family in Little Rock spending about half my time on private placements of equity and debt and public offerings and mergers and acquisitions and all that kind of geeky finance stuff that I thought I wanted to do for a living and that when I was a business school. They were telling us, well, you don't want to do that stuff. So <laughs> turns out they were right. But a couple of guys and I started buying properties on the side. We had one operating partner that would that would help us buy properties. And we were buying, you know, houses on the courthouse steps and in Little Rock and rehabbing them. And we built up a pro- portfolio of 205 of those and sold them to an investor out of California for a decent amount of money and thought I was a real estate tycoon. and. <laughs> And decided, you know, from that, I, I actually went into real estate finance. So I worked for a, a, a REIT in Birmingham, Alabama. I only did that for about a year and, and had an opportunity to come to Northwest Arkansas with a small development group to learn a little bit about development. And that's where I met my partner, Morgan Hooker. Morgan was a contractor, had, had flunked out of architecture school, which made him a Absolute architecture snob. If you ever meet anybody <laughs> that slunked out of architecture uh, school, they're like m- much worse architecture snobs and than- <laughs> I guess technically didn't flunk out. He just didn't do the work required to graduate (laughs) with an architecture degree, but whatever it was. But anyway, but he also knew about construction. I knew nothing about either one one of those things. But I did know that when I went to a city from when I was a kid, we would, my family would walk around the old areas of town and and kind of gravitate towards that sort of stuff. And that kind of influenced the architecture I like the most. But more, more importantly, you know, whenever I moved somewhere, I always would kind of gripe about having to pay a lot more money to live in the historic districts of whatever town I lived in. And so I just naturally gravitated there. And in fact, when I moved to Northwest Arkansas, I, I just I felt like the choices here for a house for me or a location for me were really, really thin. So we were rented for a year in a suburb and perfectly nice neighborhood nice people. But One of the things that I recognized there was that the guy across the street, he has done a lot of insurance work for us over the years. He's a hunter. I love to hunt. And we had a ton of things in common. We had kids about the same age. But, you know, if I wanted to talk to him, when he came in, he drove into his garage. The garage door came down. His front door, no one ever used Mm -hmm. except for a party, you know. and, And then... All of the stuff in his house, the kitchen and, and and all of the living areas were pushed in the back of the house just like it was in my house. I had to like sit in our shitty little dining room that no one actually ever used and like wait for him to get home <laughs> if I wanted to like, you know, talk to him about something. Yeah. You know. And I was like, this is creepy as hell. I don't I don't know why people live <laughs> like this. So Morgan had kind of struck up a conversation with a a planning group called Dwani Plater Zyberg Company, DPC, which is kind of firm known as kind of launching the new urbanist kind of movement. And so about the time that I was finding a lot of interest in real estate from a financial standpoint, and I can get into a lot of that, but basically real estate is driven by cash flows and I'm attracted to that. But I also was kind of very quickly finding the area in which I wanted to spend my time. So I I didn't come from a kind of a More broad real estate background. I was an urbanist pretty much from the minute I started working in real estate development. And early in my career, I was, you know, very sophomoric about it. (laughs) I know I'm still a little sophomoric about it, but I'm a little less likely to get on my soapbox. Although, if any of my friends are listening to this, they probably think you were more like it later. You know, before I'm like, yeah, I was pretty bad. But uh, anyhow. So that's how I got into it.
1: Nice. Well, what are some of the projects kind of in and around Northwest Arkansas or even Fayetteville specifically that you've worked on in the past?
2: All right. So the projects that that are the most obvious to people are Johnson Square and Johnson, which is wonderful. Yes. Exit sixty nine off of (laughs) off the interstate between Springdale and and Fayetteville. Fable School District and Springdale Water and Sewer and City of Johnson has its own municipal government. So it's an odd little spot in the world. Uh, before that, I did a project that's uh, completed a completed new urban project called the Village at Hendricks in Conway, Arkansas. That Really, you know, a lot of people really enjoy that that neighborhood. And I lived there for several years. We've done a couple of things in downtown Rogers. The most notable there is the 1907 building where Onyx has their headquarters oh, yeah. and Heirloom and Yeo's has a Mezcaria and Taqueria yeah, it's, it's and, a great place uh, uh-huh. yeah it's just a good building and you have several apartments in the back of that we're about to build some apartments right behind that building I love downtown Rogers um, I just too. think yeah, it's sweet. gonna you know It's no secret it's going to take off. But when we started the 1907, there wasn't anything going on there. So Nothing, you know, really. I mean, it was really, we bought that building for $12 a foot, which which we grossly overpaid because it was a piece of junk. But
0: It's almost like you ushered in the new era. Yeah. You you sort of invested in that area, seeing the potential, and maybe that drew more people there.
2: It was probably us. And then the Walton family put a little bit in there. (laughs) Just a little. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, you know, a little bit of success, but got success. And, you know, the Walton family had their um, annual family get together and count their money deal uh, there right before we finished that building. And and they did ask us, like, we were there, uh, starstruck, and yes, what can we do for downtown Rogers? And we talked about a park. We did talk about the park, and that was bigger things like that less kind of direct food and beverage and residential because you can stomp out local initiatives if you don't don't watch out as, as powerful as they are. But clearly, they can see a little success and put a little fuel on the fire that the rest of us can't. And downtown Rogers is going to be, it's already a blast, but it's going to be remarkable to watch over the next few years. Yeah. We're, we're working on a project that only has one building built on it right now, but it's a big, ambitious project. It's 195 acres right between Garland and Greg, and then just to the south of the interstate called Drake Farms. Oh, yeah.
1: Ooh. I've seen signs for that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah.
2: It's kind of. Coming soon. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. But we have one building that we built for the, our land partner, and, and it's got to be the finest building we, I've ever worked on and probably pretty snobby about it. But the, one of the finer office buildings built in the state of Arkansas. Well,
0: now we're going to have 20s. to go check
2: it out. I okay. know. Uh, that's a good one, yeah. It's the corner of, of Drake and Greg. So We've
1: been by there a bunch of times and yeah. pointed it out. Yeah. <laughs> what the hell
2: is that? Who's doing that? <laughs> so we're working on a bigger project around that building with Specialized Real Estate Group. They bring a lot of horsepower to, you know, I'm, a, I'm an urbanist geek, but those guys get stuff done and we are enjoying working with them on that project. That one's one we'll see a whole lot on the next couple of years.
0: What's that going to evolve into?
2: So it's going to be a mixed-use neighborhood like Johnson Square, but it'll be more dense, you know. So oh, nice. a lot of office demand, as you can imagine, right by yeah. the hospital. The hospital is taking a lot of the land and, you know, going to we'll we will all find out together what they're going to do, but uh, – hmm. Um, that it's not a secret that they've already bought a portion of the land and have an option on some more. And then, you know, food and beverage will be an anchor for us. It always it is. And a lot of people live there, and it'll be a beautiful neighborhood.
1: Definitely. It's got a
2: 12-acre walnut grove that the whole design was built around, wow. which is pretty fantastic. That's yeah. really cool.
0: Well, I'm I'm jumping around a little bit. Jump you around. Ma- you mentioned mixed-use developments in that space. And I'm curious, you know, we always talk about mixed-use and how— it's really cool to have retail on the ground floor and stuff above it or whatever. And there's other kinds of mixed use, but I'm curious to hear your perspective on mixed use and some of the challenges that you encounter when you're actually developing a project like that.
2: You know, when Morgan and I started, we and Morgan, by the way, passed away about a year and a half ago. Oh, sorry. oh. oh I've got a great partner now and it is, you know, as my best bud, you know, genius. But anyway, when, when he and I started working together, Doing mixed use was considered like a no-no. In fact, all this urbanism stuff was like, you know, hey, it's not big lots in a subdivision out in the middle of nowhere. It was was not in vogue at all. But those battles have been won, you know, those battles about people appreciating mixed use and that sort of thing and and, and to a point of not recognizing some difficulties that that go along with it the purpose of mixed use is to be able to walk to a variety of uses and generally i mean from a residence but uh, but that's not necessarily true and if you park there and walk just and you can hit three or four things with one trip instead of one thing with one trip you're reducing car trips you know yep. and you're having a more enjoyable experience so you know, a lot of times when I'm talking about mixed use, I mean in a neighborhood setting, not necessarily a building setting. A lot of discussion is around a, let's say, a three-story building with ground floor retail. And and that's appropriate sometimes, but less than you might think. And the reason is it's got to be a great location for retail. Residential can be, you can be much looser on the location. And I think somebody would love to live seven or eight blocks from downtown Benville. But if you got a business, you need to be in just a pretty small core. The second reason is it's a more expensive construction. So you have to you have to have fire separation between the floors, and, and so you have to have a couple of things that that make it a little more difficult to build. And then you got to tr- think about pr- parking. But a lot of times, mixed use is great for parking because right. taking pressure off of parking, especially if you're going to have, you're gonna have an office next to residential, because they're. Almost one to one, you know, use differences as far as time of day. Um, so I don't get hung up as much on a building being mixed use as I do on an area being mixed use. And then sometimes, and this is tougher, a corridor, and mixed use is particularly difficult in some of our existing up and coming downtowns where there currently is an oversupply of space. You know, we had a situation in springdale we've gotten it resolved but they really wanted this entire corridor to be ground floor ground floor retail is what they really want but there's a lot of retail on Emma when there's their main drag through downtown that's available and inexpensive you know and some of it is just empty so mm-hmm. my thinking on that is why would you want me to come in and and challenge a building that's hard to build right now and challenge the people that have already made an investment in downtown Springdale by having me bring in something brand spanking new, you know, that's going to be competing with their their piece that's that's empty. So there, there, there are times when it's not Appropriate to force, you know, and there have been exa- several examples of Northwest Arkansas uh, forcing it
1: Yeah, and that that makes me think of a building that I know that some people have gotten frustrated by There's a student housing building that's slated to replace where the Quonset huts are Yeah, and I know a lot of people have said well I'll support it as long as there's mixed use But what you're saying makes a good point of well There's so much mixed use around there already and there's so much shopping that it's maybe not necessary if we're going to get some housing at all, yep. we should be happy that we're getting the housing, right? And maybe you could look to another neighborhood for some mixed use where otherwise no one has anything to walk to. Even if they're right there.
2: I mean, they can walk to a lot of retail options from right there. Right. I, mean, I mean, it is no distance to get to the square. Not, right, in, right. not just Dixon, you know, so there's, there's plenty there. If there is a demand for ground floor retail, then you can as a developer, you can do a little better if you can get it at market rents. But rocket rents right now are expensive for ground mm-hmm. floor retail. I mean, they're just they're gonna be there mid mid thirty a foot, you know, plus six or seven dollars in nuts. It's gonna be scaring forty dollars a foot. That's a lot of money for new construction retail right now. Yeah. So you can do a little bit better, but it's riskier. Um, and we need housing and it's easy to walk to other stuff from there. So so tacking on like every single you know, kind of positive you think you can tack on to an already difficult task is not the way to get the goal you think you want.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. And I think a lot of that discussion came from the fact that you know they are upending what's already there and people have a lot of emotional attachment to the buildings that yeah. are there and what's in there so i think i think a lot of that is like well at least we have a space for those businesses but like you said it's going to be so much more expensive mm-hmm. oh yeah that it you're not going to get the same businesses yeah. anyway
1: that's just part of life typically oh, nothing's yeah. going to ever stay the same so you've got to just embrace the change and hopefully have your voice heard and yeah. that's one of the main reasons we're grateful you're coming on because i think so many people wonder why various development decisions decisions are made, and just really don't even know who to ask. I wouldn't have even known who to ask until we met you at that conference. So it's just nice to be able to ask these questions and get an understanding of the why behind certain decisions, like why things are made, why things aren't happening. And ideally, well, we'll get to this shortly, but what are some ways that we as kind of pro-development, or I should say pro-smart development and pro-urbanism, what can we support to kind of facilitate as much walkability and as much urbanism without becoming so obsessed with the details that then we end up like not letting otherwise almost perfect projects go through.
2: Well and the details that you that you a lot of times think about that are, you know, transitory. I mean, if you look at a city like Rome or London that are beautiful cities now and beautiful cities before. But if our archaeologist starts digging, there will be sixty feet of previous city underneath and sometimes yeah. entire entire buildings underneath underneath buildings. But what has survived incredibly closely intact is the pattern of the city. So the layout of the streets is almost the same. Mm-hmm. So if you look at a, a, a drawing of Paris or you look at a map of Rome, my friend's got one at his house that I Geek out on pretty often. <laughs> it's two hundred years old. You, you recognize. You can say I stayed in a hotel that was mm-hmm. on this corner right here, and guess what? The hotel wasn't there two hundred fifty years ago.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: I'm sure when somebody when they built the hotel one hundred fifty years ago, somebody was there bitching about it. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. but, you know, but the form of the city allows it to evolve like that.
0: Well, would you mind sharing with us how you implement smart growth strategies for sustainable development when you're looking at a project?
2: So. We're a little bit different. So most developers, when they build something, they build it to sell, and that's actually because for for a very good reason. It's it's hard to have enough cash on hand to design a project, build it, own it, and then come up with the cash on hand. It takes to build a you know eight to ten million dollar building. It takes you know realistically three hundred thousand dollars in pre-development costs to to get the building launched. Well. You think you're going to get that. You never get that money back. You leave it in the building and, you know, you're rolling down the road. But that means if you're building three of those a year, you're going to have a million dollars a year in oh, wow, yeah. design costs. And I don't have a million dollars a year in design cost of money to sit around in a pot somewhere to, to put into it. But by hook or by crook, we build and we end up holding. And most developers don't. For And that's that's for good reason. But when someone has a short-term interest in something, they have a short-term perspective on, on mm-hmm. that thing. Since we are building for portfolio, we think in terms of, you know, what is this what is this worth in thirty years? And our goal is for any building, I mean we we do other stuff, but our, our primary projects are we want anything to be class A now and class A in thirty years in the kind of the commercial real estate parlance. Really what I want is I want for the area to patina and become more authentic because when we build a town center neighborhood, it is not authentic day one. I'm hyper aware of that and hyper sensitive to how can we get it away from being the developer's vision and into a functional, functioning neighborhood. And hopefully in 30 or 40 years, it is functioning more, you know, hopefully in five years, but hopefully in 30 or 40 years, definitely it's functioning. And you know, the trees are bigger and, you know, the paint is starting to chip a little bit and all that kind of stuff makes it a little bit better, you know? So we think about it from that perspective. So it's almost like, you know, if Olmstead, Olmstead parks, you know, he's, he's designing parks around a bunch of trees that don't exist yet that we're designing not for our children, but for our children's children or whatever he's Yeah. Saying. Well,
0: how do you balance the ideals of smart growth with economic realities and market demands? Because I know that there's probably conflicts there when you're going through, you, you probably want something to be bigger and better and have all the things but you have to cut back or you have to make these hard decisions. Yeah,
2: so our priority list is maybe different from other folks that are doing things that are equally laudable. The original green is a kind of a philosophy that we follow a little bit that's okay, make things walkable. If you can reduce a car trip a day, you've done something good for the world, you know. Make something durable, you know, something that is energy efficient but not durable doesn't do that well. And I feel even more that way about affordable housing stuff. If something is a piece of junk just made out of balsa wood and spit and baling wire, like some stuff is, you know, and and some of that stuff gets affordable, you know, light tech financing and that sort of stuff. But it just if it doesn't last in a dignified way for 100 years, but only lasts 30 years and it's going to be mowed down, you just you haven't advanced wall. I mean, some of the greatest affordable housing stuff in Northwest Arkansas is Craftsman Homes built in Sears catalog in in South Fayetteville that's still great, beautiful stuff. So, We kind of start with the basics and work our way towards the things that take an investment, but durability is a big piece of that. Investing in great foundations, investing in great insulation, real simple insulation stuff. Can save a whole lot of money and therefore energy over time. and you see in Northwest Arkansas, especially if there's not a you know rigorous enforcement that you'll you'll see builders not do like things like you know. Ten dollars worth the tape on the bottom of stud walls when the house is going up—that that doesn't cost anything. It saves the builder ten bucks, and they know that they're doing it. And you know, they're thinking over the course of hundred houses, they saved a thousand dollars. You know, that they'd rather have than not have, and it's costing everybody else. You know, thirty dollars a year, forty dollars a year in lost heat and the energy oh, to, wow. to get there. And so that kind of stuff is frustrating to me. So so I don't want for our smart growth strategies we start with with neighborhood design and then we work that way but so it's kind of the unsexy stuff that you know more than solar and net zero and all that kind of stuff you rarely get there yeah
1: i think that's the sexy stuff especially because (laughs) well i remember before we even moved here my name is ward (laughs) (laughs) well i remember we were we were reading about johnson because we didn't know where we were going to live in the city and just kind of considering everything and i remember i really wanted to live somewhere walkable it's important to me we did not end up somewhere walkable but we were looking at the Johnson Square area like, well, here's this brand new downtown. And so I'm curious how you identified Johnson as a good area to kind of build community and what that whole process looked like just from, I guess, from concept to creation. Yeah.
2: So it's, it's funny that you say that. So I was president of a trade association group called the National Town Builders Association. And it's people that develop town center projects like Johnson Square and then in downtowns, like the stuff we do in Rogers and, you know attempting to do in Fable, With that group, I saw that these town center neighborhoods had become so successful for a period of time, and in odd locations, for instance, Seaside that was built in 30A Corridor in Florida that gets a lot of attention as kind of one of the early new urban projects. It attracted so much stuff around it that now you can hardly drive around down 30A in the summer, and you think it's in the middle of everything, but in the... But Back when they started developing that project, there was nothing there and nothing around it. Their first use of mixed use there was setting up a fruit stand, you Mm -hmm. know, because nothing else was there that they ran themselves. So people were taking that idea that you can attract people to these communities and put them farther and farther outside of town. And so then you went through a period that's gotten a decent amount of press and a decent amount of negative press for being very expensive, being Outside of town, so therefore not, you know, necessarily solving a lot of the transportation issues we got, and, that, and and that sort of thing, and these little like pods of kind of they're not, it's not like they're a gated community, but they they are in terms of not that every, not everybody can live there because they get very expensive very fast. So I saw that these neighborhoods were successful financially, successful pretty far out. Now the little stores sucked wind and all that kind of stuff, but as far as getting residents there, but Johnson was to me. Right between Springdale and Fayetteville, and it was Fayetteville School District, and some people like that, and it was pretty undeveloped piece of ground, and you know that's less than half a mile from the interstate. And to me, that was a layup, you know, because mm-hmm. then I was checking off all of the other boxes that some of these neighborhoods weren't. But the landowner couldn't believe that we that I had so much enthusiasm about it, and <laughs> and so we we launched. And my what's funny and ironic is my, my I've got a, a, a partner for the last. Just over a year now. His name is Jason Keithley. He was a founding partner of C.R. Crawford Construction. So, fantastically successful person. Made, it, made a real name and reputation for himself in the construction field. When we started building that, and he built all of our big buildings, and when he started building the first building there, it was a medical building in the middle of the field. He just hoped his checks would clear. Huh. Wow. Well, now he and I bought out our land partner for, you know, he's still in as a minor land partner, so he's taken all his chips and shoved them in the middle of the table, all yeah. bent on Johnson Square that he was on the front end and didn't think would succeed, you
1: know. Oh, my gosh. I yeah. love that development, and I just love going over. I mean, part of it has to do with the, the I guess, anchor tenants, the oh, yeah. pizza3 Ruby and he'll yeah. follow well met. But how did y'all or how does one find the tenants for that? Or is that something that you build it and then?
0: They will come.
2: I mean, Mor- Morgan was real good at it. I'll call him the hipster whisperer. But the, <laughs> but but I picked up a lot for, from from him. And, and honestly, the way you get great food and beverage tenants, and I was talking to some really good ones last week that i am really be proud to work with. You just listen to what their needs are because they they each have different requirements for what they're trying to do with their business and what they in different stages of building their business. So the leases we have and the financial structures we have with well, those two tenants you just mentioned, Hale fellow, well met," which is John Allen and Andre Allen with Onyx, and Mike Robertshaw, who's a a very accomplished chef, but had never owned his own restaurant before. They're just completely different goals. Onyx was killing it, you know, so he wanted really low base rent and would, was willing to pay for almost all of his tenant improvements out of out of pocket. Michael was trying to launch a business for the first time in his life during COVID, and so we did a different structure with him with percentage runs, and which now he. You know, he puffs his chest up about how what a bad deal it is for him because it took the risk out for him. But now it's like he invented food, and like everybody has to eat this pizza before they die. So, now, <laughs> so, so I have a hard time feeling too too sorry for him. I have a feeling he does too. But he, but we we did a different structure for him, because, so we could help get him farther along. But if if somebody's great, we can usually figure out a deal. But I only want really really good, and I really really put a big 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 premium on local.
1: Yes. Well, and I guess this is sort of related, but you were talking about the proximity to the freeway for this development. We're always talking about trail-oriented development. Yep. So with all the new trails that are being built, not just the east side trail, which we're partial toward because we love that. That's where we live. But in general, all these spurs, do you see that as something that you look for when you're looking for a plum new development, somewhere that's right off a bike path, almost like the Kohler Mountain Airship, is that which one it is? That coffee shop that's mm-hmm. do you see anything like that where it's it's geared almost entirely toward being like right off of the trails? Or do you go still more toward something that's right off of a road or a freeway?
2: So the um there's a lot to unpack in that, yeah. in that <laughs> question. The first part is there's not been anything in northwest Arkansas that was more built it and they will come than the trail system. Yeah. So I actually talked to a downtown fable vendor Very well-known, very outspoken, very old, that uh, (laughs) he was like, we just hate the trail system. Don't you? I was like, there's not been, like, how can you even objectively, like, like, even if you were trying to defend your position from 25 years ago, just like... It's time to cave, man. Yeah. You know, like it it is amazing. It's yeah. proven to be egalitarian, it's proven to be effective at reducing traffic on roads. But if you measured everybody's BMI, you know, everybody's at weighs five pounds less, you know, yes. or something. But anyhow, from a commercial real estate, like like big commercial up and like Pinnacle and all that sort of stuff where you'd think that they probably don't care about all this, you know. I see stuff advertised as walkable up there, but it's like, yeah uh, It's a stretch. <laughs> Okay, but those, you know, Walmart vendors recognize that they want to be near the trail. And um, so, man, it's it's a great benefit to be near the trail. And and obviously being on the spine is great, but being with the spurs are getting, it's getting to be, you know, it'll be spaghetti before it's over. So that's good. Well, interestingly, Johnson, first of all, the Drake Farms project, the. The, the spine of the Greenway runs just to the east of that, and we'll have a spur connecting through that I imagine will be used like the spine. And then uh, that's on the east side of that site. And then Johnson Square, we're actually only about a quarter of a mile from the spine of the Greenway. And we were meeting with the mayor last week and working on timelines for when he could connect into Johnson and how we're connecting. But We've been pushing next, for that. Yes, our, we've uh-uh. asked
1: it on every survey. Let us know how we can support you well, here. Well, he
2: promised that it it's coming, but uh, <laughs> anyhow. I don't know that he necessarily promised it, but he's working on it very diligently. And, and <laughs> we we are, for our part, in our next phase, we'll kind of working in the warehouse district. We're we're actually having the trail built through through that phase. So you know, it'll we will have our piece ready for them. Want them to have it as soon as they can.
1: Nice. And
2: they've got the land and everything ready for it, so they can they can do it now.
1: Well, that does bring me to something because I know we were talking about how how does community engagement kind of play into the building process because. Well, again, this coming back to us and being selfish and wanting things on the east side of Fayetteville, we see all of these opportunities along, say, Mission Boulevard and Old Wire where you've got this great up-and-coming trail, but then what we've heard, and I don't know if this is true, but we have heard (laughs) that sometimes when people try to develop or they try to get something rezoned in what's traditionally more of either just kind of a, a thoroughfare or a residential area, there's a lot of pushback. So... Is that from your perspective, maybe one of the reasons that people aren't developing on the east side or even on any of these areas that might be trail adjacent? Or is it more just a situation of, hey, the trail is not even ready yet? It's uh, not aside even. Aside
0: from zoning, because we're going to get covered. Yeah, that we'll later. talk about zoning. There's, soon. Defi- there's definitely a big
2: NIMBY piece to that because sure. the first project that I worked on, a big, big project I worked on in Fayetteville, was a project called Ruskin Heights, which is the site of now Mission Heights. And so the mixed use part hasn't gotten built yet. I'm working on helping some folks with 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 that right now in a stroke of irony. And if we build it I'm calling it Ruskin Heights, damn it. But uh, <laughs> the um anyhow the houses there are nice. It was a very ambitious project, but, but we had a regulatory process that was probably worse than Markham Hill. I mean, it was absolutely ruthless and you know, I've I've still got a fair degree of cynicism about public engagement as a result of it. So when you ask about public engagement, I like to engage a lot of people and get a lot of opinions. But there are experts and there are people that aren't experts, and right. I listen to experts more. You know, and and I discount where I think somebody has financial interest or other selfish interest that's that's driving their conversation. You know, which a lot of those are the same arguments that are getting made over and over. I found that there was no no value whatsoever in meeting with with neighborhoods we met with them all just had meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting maybe it did but at the end it was you know over a year regulatory process we got just absolutely marauded with um off-site improvements in an in infill location which is the locations you're not supposed to be settling with one side improvements and probably it probably set the project up for a pretty tough run and then the the financial crisis hadn't just wiped us out. So that was when I got most involved with community outreach. But, I, but I'm pretty gun shy, you know, about – developing in infill locations. We've had a bad situation that it'll be okay eventually, but it's not the optimal situation that came from that on a property in college in Cleburne and, and, you know, the middle of Fayetteville during COVID. So that was one that was interesting because that corridor had a very special zoning, which I don't know what it is now, but it, but they really wanted mixed use and they really wanted some density of housing along college. It's a yeah. major arterial, you know, and it's practically downtown. great and, idea. Yep. And so we designed what, you know, essentially we felt like they wanted it was 30 units i think 29 units and some in a decent amount of commercial space we went through the city process and this is where i get into the zoning versus unified development code because a lot of times with the code that the city will say oh you can just get a variance for that it's no big deal you know just go through the planning commission and it passes we had several variances because we always do and um or almost always do now i might not ever again but um but but we had several variances they all passed by the planning commission just fine Went back for another variance that also passed, no big deal. But in, in January of 2020, shit happened there in 2020, by the way. <laughs> in January of 2020, we passed a variance to have 90-degree parking. So dive-in parking that was 90 degrees, not at an angle. On a, on a trip with less than 300 car trips a day or 325 or something like that. No no car trips a day. Pollard, if you've ever driven down it ever in your life. We had a neighbor that asked a city council member, Mark Kenyon was a city council member, to appeal it on the on that variance. Ironically, the the person that asked him to, to take that appeal parks ninety degrees in his truck in his in his parking spot. And pulls out exactly like that every day. Has not died a fiery death yet or anything like that. And I guess doesn't think it's quite as dangerous for him. He's probably more experienced than the rest of us. But does the exact same thing that he, they asked for a variance on.
1: Rules for me, not for these. Yeah.
2: So the project got completely approved by the Planning Commission, which is all we had to go through. Got appealed to city council on a variance after it had been approved, which I didn't even know it could be done. And so that was in April of 2020 and had contract pricing and I probably had executed the contract with my buddy Keith Lee and he probably let me out of it had contract pricing we know that during 2020 prices went nuts we yep. repri- we got approved again in in September repriced the building it's 20% more expensive to build wow we've repriced it twice since then because we still got our our, our thing it's Almost, I say it's twice as expensive. It's almost twice as expensive. Oh my God! Still says
0: for sale on there. Yeah,
2: no, that's because we got a sign on there. Morgan thought we needed to have a sign everywhere. You know, <laughs> I need to just drag it off somewhere. But it is for sale. Don't try to buy it. We're, re- we're redesigning it. It's just not as high up on the priority list. You know, if we, something gets bumped off the priority list. But...
0: So, are you saying that the ninety-degree parking alone killed that project?
2: A lot of other factors played right. into it, but that essentially, you know. So when somebody says, "Oh, you know, if you get a, it's no big deal if you get appeal to the council," because right. we, we passed, you know, I don't know if it was unanimously or close to unanimously, it was never in doubt that we were going to pass at city council. It's just why put something through that? Well, you know, why have why have a development code that 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 makes projects risky? You know, well, that that's two hundred fifty thousand dollars for the design fees. We've got to throw in the trash. We're redesigning the building. And it's not going to be as nice. I'm sorry, it's not going to be as nice. So, you know, yes, we lose some design fees. We're going to build another building. It'll be beautiful. It won't be what it was going to be before. We won't be able to do the same building. But the worst part is, what what would have happened? Is we would have, from a practical standpoint, is we would have built that building in pre-COVID dollars. We would have... Moved folks in at the rent rate we needed to get with the with the income we needed to get to make the banks happy. And then when he got lazy. I'm not saying we wouldn't have raised our rates, but I'm saying we'd have been lazy about it, you know. And now I'm going to have a dollar amount that I have to hit on a building that's going to cost almost twice as much. And I'm going to get it. Because when we need to get it, miraculously we, we do. And it's just coming out of people's pocket. And that's units we don't have right now in a time when we need some units, you know especially in a in a location like that so
1: we always need units mm,
0: that's true well you had mentioned variances i just want to quickly touch on something because yeah. in the urbanist advocacy community here in Fayetteville you know there's been this roadrunner gas station project that the argument there has a lot of it has been you know that site really deserves to be housing The where it's located at the university and there's already a shitload of gas stations and all that kind of stuff and so the only tool that the people that we talk to have at their disposal because someone already decided that it's going to be a gas station is to appeal variances. And I know you have some opinions on that. I'm curious, you know, I know it's kind of like anti-developer to to go against them but then if the developer is not aligned with the goals of where you think the city should go are there any other tools that are better than that the
2: the first question i have there is was the developer aligned with the rules that were in place when the developer started the project yeah and the developer was
0: i know and that's what that's the hard part
2: and the second thing is all the people showing outrage right now were they is diligently pursuing rezoning that property? To what they thought, thought was appropriate prior to somebody making an investment, trying to do what the rules said they could do, mm-hmm. they don't—they're coming in from the outside. They don't know right. what what the what the thing is here, and and I've seen that. Yeah, that was shown as a tier urban center, but the city, you know, they said that's what we'd like to see here, but then didn't, didn't proactively do anything to make the rules that in that place because mm-hmm. other developers, including me, have looked at that area. Mm-hmm. I do think it's a great a great spot for a, for an urban node. But the rules weren't in place for that, and changing the rules would pain the ass and fraught with danger, just like we've talked about before. And, you know, it could be me that they were fighting on variances right now as well. So, my thought would be the more appropriate action would be to lose a battle here and win a war by saying, City, this is where you did not do what you said you wanted to do, you said that you wanted these urban nodes, mm-hmm. but you didn't make the changes here. We're losing something that we could have had. We could have had something great here, and we're not going to get it. And it's in a critical location, and we're not going to get it. But you've got 40-something of these nodes. What do we have to do now to rezone these, to get them to where you are allowed to build what you say that you want built? Mm-hmm. And then, what are the development code? items that need to be changed to make it at least as attractive as building a strip center mm-hmm. and an apartment complex because that's really what you're comparing
0: it to yeah and i mean i think that's where they're going with 71b they're, they're trying to upzone it and rezone it and they have i'm pretty happy with what they're trying to do there it's obviously a process like everything else but i would like to hear your thoughts on like you know okay this, the issues with zoning it's one thing and like yep. How aggressive can we be with with changing zoning in the city, and and how, where you think the best opportunities are besides seventy one B because that's already in discussion, yep. and then also how the the UDC comes into play, and what code problems are the biggest barriers for you as a developer?
2: Okay, so I kind of want to take one small step back and say when we started uh, Johnson Square, it was illegal to build what we wanted to build. We wanted to have the legal ability to somewhere, anywhere, build what we were interested in. Well, there are a lot of places, you know, a lot of places that want us to build mixed-use stuff now. And so there are places that have that zone. Almost all cities now have the zoning for it. So City of was was kind of at the bleeding edge of that. So the city did a good job of addressing the fact that you started off illegal, mm-hmm. you know, okay. The next step is... What can we do to make it as easy for a developer to do this as the stuff that we say we want less. Because right now, the easier route is to have segmented uses, mm-hmm. you know, and develop sprawl. It just is. And our road sections are set up for it, you know, our million little pieces of the code are set up for a utility, you know, kind of where we put utilities, even some fire code issues, that sort of thing that can that can get in there and make it very harder to build truly walkable, tight you know, because the, the more tight it is, the more walkable it is. The more stuff you can walk to. You know, so so there are, there are a million little pieces. We went through a process in our office for Drake Farms, and st- we have the highest level of zoning you can have: urban thoroughfare. Mm-hmm. And if we have to, we'll build it to urban thoroughfare according to urban thoroughfare standards. Ironically, there are a lot of this standards in urban thoroughfare that conflict with the the. Unified Development Code or where the Unified Development Code makes the urban thoroughfare stuff that they say they want very difficult. So we were, we were thinking about throwing away the zoning and doing a PUD zoning where we can write our own standards, but man, I'm old. I don't know if I want to do that kind of <laughs> stuff anymore. So we, we we worked on a list of master variances for the neighborhood, and it took on a life of its own. We've got like 70-something master variances. I think i didn't even sent it to you guys. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm not proprietary about this. Yeah, Send it to the city. Y'all don't do this any damn hell, you know. What you're seeing right now, and you're seeing it in Rogers, and then Benville is starting to do it as well, is an entire rewrite of the development code. Mm -hmm. Because the problem with the development code is it kind of – it's one of those things that's a relatively low barrier to add stuff to it, you know, just gets approved by city council. And, you know, most of these things were started 30, 40 years ago, maybe longer than that. And it was very easy to add stuff, but nobody wants to take something away. Mm -hmm. And what happens is there are a lot of pieces in there that – in a vacuum sound to be very reasonable but in total are very difficult and now we have a situation in the world where to develop in an area or in a city one of your primary skills is to be an expert of the city's code okay. which is just not the right stuff to be focused on I'm talking to somebody about affordable housing the other day and there's light tech developers that only do light tech pro- programs which is Lytech is a government program that takes like fifteen months to get your project approved and that sort of thing. Their number one skill in the world is not building stuff. It's not, a, a, you know, addressing the needs of the workforce community. It is literally figuring out government paperwork. You know, for me, it's great because somebody wants to come in and develop in Fayetteville. It's like, ah, yeah, come on, <laughs> <laughs> I'll run you off in no time. Not <laughs> playground back to myself. You know, <laughs> so but but from, a, from but from getting stuff done, you know, it's, it it does make it difficult. But other cities up here are making that move. Right. Yeah. And I, I know
0: they, they hired DPZ as a consultant, mm-hmm. and they, um, they're they going through the form-based codes and things like that. Curious what your thoughts are on form-based codes in general.
2: Um, I was on the uh, advisory board for the Form-Based Code Institute in D.C., technically still am, but I'm just kind of emeritus now. So I know a decent amount about form-based codes, and they vary widely in quality. Mm-hmm. You know. Got opinions on the quality of the ones in Northwest Arkansas. Some of them are are good, and some of them are less good. They work very well if it's a complete rewrite of code. They work very poorly if it's an overlay on top of existing code. Then you're, all you're doing is adding another set of rules. You know,
0: mm-hmm.
1: that's
2: like not what the goal is here. You know, what we're trying to do is make great development as easy as shitty development. That's all we're trying to do. Yeah, and. Right now it's not.
1: Yeah. You know?
2: Developers are like water. They will flow where it's easiest. Yes. Like that's the other thing about like the rest of developers. Everybody's like, Well, most developers are greedy. I'm like, that makes them real predictable. You know? <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> make the stuff you like real easy and profitable and they'll yeah. build more of it and make the stuff that you don't like harder and less profitable and they'll develop less of that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Use that against them. Well, from your perspective for someone who's listening, what can we all do as listeners and really as enthusiastic citizens who want the same type of developments that you want to be made easier? What can we do to make good development as easy to do or easier yeah. than shitty development.
2: Get proactive. I mean, the city is very good at the big thinking stuff. Mm-hmm. And I feel that the enthusiasm and money runs out where the, where the rubber really meets the road. And that's at the kind of the development code level is – and, I mean, support like Britton Bostick, who's the long-range planner at the city and just published a great piece on yeah. where the city needs to go um, and in these big-picture initiatives – then push, 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 push. Okay, what is the backup to City Plan Twenty Forty? You know, what's the backup to that? I mean, the the, the first thing we're tasked with is a sta- esta- uh, establishing these these urban nodes, and I'm f- very familiar with most of those.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Several in my mind right now. I've got one I'm taking a run at, but several of them in my mind right now could be really, really good. Some of them I think are, are shot and and will be very hard to turn. But there's some low-hanging fruit out there. Get the zoning changed. If I don't have to get the zoning changed, it, it just takes a lot of risk for me. Would
0: you me. be comfortable sharing which? I know of these I want to know too. Yeah, are, I don't know. which one of uh, those
2: sneaky developers know what I'm doing? Oh, next. okay.
1: We'll we'll talk offline. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. No, <laughs> no I've, you know, you could look at a map and probably guess them. So, but that also avoids that problem of getting sideways. You know, they're – they're you know, roadrunner people or whatever, but they're still trying to follow the rules, yeah. generally. And variance requests should be just that. Yeah is is, is that a, is that something that can be accomplished that won't screw up the world? It's not a chance to to jab somebody like we got jabbed because because you can. That's
1: you know? what we've been discussing a lot recently. Is I'm a big fan of pushing for. Pushing for things proactively that we think would be beneficial versus trying to oppose something that we just missed the boat on. We didn't really even know anything about urbanism probably when this person submitted their plans. The last thing I want is to deliberately undermine somebody. When they've already invested so much time and energy, I would rather incentivize those same developers to do something good in the future. So I guess what my question is, just to clarify and make sure I really get it, is we as concerned citizens, as enthusiastic citizens, should really be pushing for ideally improved unified development code. But instead of laying it on top and adding an extra layer of rules, trying to kind of get it completely yeah,
2: and and let the let the pros do that. Well, you know, you're gonna have to yeah. trust some people. You yeah, know, you can't you can't you can't rule your way to great design. It just can't be done. So you have to have and what we have got. Fable's got great. All, almost all the Northwest Arkansas has great staff. I mean, yeah, I really knowledgeable folks yep. and just listen to them. And, you know, what we don't have really knowledgeable city council members all over the place. They're they're not they're not the pros. They don't do it as a day job. Your yeah. your staff does it as a day, day job. They know it. Listen to them.
1: So, if the city council people, if we wanted to talk to them and ask them things, would we? Do you have any sort of recommendations for what types of? what types of things we should ask them for as council people, because I know a lot of them get into it. Maybe they're not experts, but they, they really, really care.
2: What are you doing to support the the staff taking the goals of twenty of City Plan 2040 and, and having those become a reality? Right on. And, then, and then what metrics can we measure that by? You look at these areas and say, this one's, this one can go make it, it's too late. This one's, you know, can become an urban node, you know?
1: Yeah. So, Well, and even offline, we can talk about any of the nodes that you think have a lot of potential and right to our council members yeah. on the side, because we were not developers. We have no aspirations to be developers. Yep. That did lead me to something though. I've met a lot of people who are like, I would love to do a development. Or for example, they might want to team up with like five or 10 friends and I've heard of these things. So what would be something that they could do if they're like, I live in this micro neighborhood. This is a tier three center or tier one center. I really want to make it happen. I want to develop there. Like, perfect example, I sent you a property once where I was like, we're not going to develop it, but it would be so perfect. What would someone do if they just wanted to – they see this perfect spot. They're like, I want to make a food truck court along the bike trail or something like that. What would they start with? And maybe this is totally – a tangent we shouldn't go down. No, well,
2: there's, there's, I can, I can hit that really quickly. There's a yeah. group called the Incremental Development Alliance. It's a national group. Several people from Fayetteville are on the faculty of the Incremental Development Alliance. A couple of them are really, really bright people. I would hire one of those really, really bright people to help you with that and spend some money to save a bunch of money and a bunch of time. Because all that stuff that seems like it ought to be easy ain't easy. Yeah. And I want everybody to try to do it at least once so they'll have more sympathy. Like, nobody, nobody has sympathy <laughs> for the real estate developer <laughs> unless they've tried to develop real estate. And then they're like, man, you know, beforehand, it's like, what do you do on a daily basis? Like, when you get up in the morning after you put your shoes on, what do you do, you know? Yeah. And then after they've done it, they're like, how the hell do you get anything done? <laughs> yeah, and yeah. So so there's nothing that's more sympathetic with me than somebody has tried this stuff before. Second yeah. of all, start simple. I mean, start simple and try to make a profit before anything else. I mean, because it's an easy way to lose lose money. That's a real easy way to lose money. So
1: start uh, simple is it a certain type of development or
2: well, residential is going to be simpler than anything else. Yeah. Start simple, start obvious, start in your own backyard, you know. That's one that's the one thing that you can have that's a competitive advantage that no one else might have and that's that you understand your garden, you know, yeah. your, what's in your backyard and what it needs and yeah. what would be successful there. And do something that's kind of a layup and hire the right people to, to help you, to help guide you, you know, give away a chunk of your profit to, to, to learn from oh, yeah. them. I mean, it is, it is. I used to be, I, I think it's real egalitarian that there's the incremental development alliance teaching people because development companies are notoriously tiny. High Street is, I mean, really on the development side, there are four of us, you know, them got some Counting people and some brokers, but I mean mm-hmm. to do a decent amount of development, we could do a lot more than with just the four of us. So it's hard to get experience from, from a developer. So the world is full of people that have just winged it. And yeah. you know, it's hard to get the capital and the knowledge to wing it, you know. Yeah.
0: Well, I'm curious, if you look ahead, what kind of trends do you foresee in urban development, particularly in NWA, but I guess in the sphere at large, and how as how does High Street preparing for that.
2: The trends in urban development in Northwest Arkansas are a lot of people are coming to Northwest Arkansas whether you want them to or not. Yeah. <clears throat> so how much of the beautiful fields to the west do you want to see destroyed? It's already depressing to me to drive to the airport. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. part of the reason I'm an urbanist and I've got a beautiful piece of land that I'm going to turn into something else is you got to at least a recognition of the obligation you've got. If you're going to take up a piece of land that's a beautiful piece of raw land, you need to, you know, have a de- a degree of respect for the what you're doing to it, you know. And if there's less land like that that's torn up, I'm happier. So you know. So if we choose wisely, we'll churn up less to the west. We can't go the east, you know. We it's hard to go north and it's hard to go south. So so really, it's we got one direction we can grow. So I think about I think about that piece. The other thing that just jumps to my mind is there are four downtowns, and in 20 years, 30 years, there's still gonna be four downtowns. It doesn't matter how many of these. Cool town center projects. Real downtowns are cooler, and you know, but these but these town center projects can help take the heat off of them. You know, because mm-hmm. it's Benville will not be a unique phenomena. With six hundred thousand more people, double in population next however many years, they're all going to be Benville. Benville going to be you know like a spaceship or something. I don't <laughs> yeah. know. You know. Yeah,
1: totally. Um,
2: so. I think managing transportation is going to be it's going to be tough. I was going and, to
1: ask that. Yeah, transit. Have you have you thought much about like public transportation and where that fits into these various nodes and these various developments, or is that kind of beyond,
2: <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> beyond you know, it's the scope? I've done I've done a decent amount of just meeting in the urbanist world. You know, mm-hmm. catching by serendipity the the kind of the densities required for rail transportation versus this versus that, and of course like a bus. The thing about buses, it can go anywhere. You know, if people move over there and bus goes over there, you put a rail line in, that's where the rail line is. Yeah, you know? totally. But sometimes there's already a rail line. And so, incidentally, and not through any genius of my own, but if it works, I'm going to take all the credit, uh, <laughs> is that we're working on Drake Forums and Johnson Square. downtown rogers yeah and the train track runs right through all of them so if that ever happens you know we'll be right there it's like you thought of this i know
1: (laughs) i love that and and big fan of buses too i i really would love to see just like a high not even high speed but a dedicated Bus lane that just takes us between all the different downtowns. But, yeah, the rail would be incredible. Or
2: just having buses, you know, <laughs> like,
1: you know, more buses, you know. Just anything. And,
2: and somehow or another having buses that, that where it – there's something about a bus relative to other forms of public transportation that people don't like. You know, yeah. I don't know what what it is or what, why it is. I but think it, it seems sometimes like... a
0: classist kind of. It's thing. a classist yeah. thing yeah. for sure. It's like, well, I have a car; I can afford a car, and it's like, come on, get over yourself. Yeah, like, yeah, like, yeah, like, yeah,
2: exactly. But there's know. a lot of
0: benefits. I love being driven. Like, yeah, that's it's right. really nice. To, you can get work done. You can catch up on the news, whatever. And someone else is driving you. Like, yeah. what's not to like? It's like a chauffeur, but people don't look at it that way. So. Yeah, they don't. <laughs>
1: And you know, yeah, I mean, we need to a, make busing cool again. I know.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do we make busing cool? That's right.
2: So, and, and you know, <laughs> and but I think like, like trolleys are a gimmick, you know. No. Uh, so I don't get get off yeah. on that kind of stuff. True, true. Rail would be great, but it requires pretty heavy density at the
0: stops. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah,
1: that's
0: true. Well, is there anything overall that you'd like to speak on that we haven't covered? <laughs>
2: Man, it's Northwest Arkansas. We're going to be growing. We need to be prepared for it. I think these topics are very serious. You know, the next 20 years will make all the difference in to what Northwest Arkansas does and can become, you know. And we just hosted the National Town Builders Association Roundtable in Northwest Arkansas. And then before that, have Went to the Congress of New Urbanism this year. It was in in Charlotte. Mm-hmm. There are more urbanists per capita in Northwest Arkansas than anywhere in the country. I'm telling you, really? that, that is absolutely the case. Wow. And back in the day it was two, me and Morgan.
0: But the, <laughs> I'm telling
2: you, we were the first ones that yeah, said OG, OG urbanists. We were the OG urbanists. And I want all the credit. But the um, <laughs> but we we have and some of the most thought thoughtful thought leaders in that world live in this area. And I still feel like our impact is a drop in the bucket here. So, man, how do we how do we leverage that the knowledge that, like, we didn't have very long ago that we have got at our fingertips right now? And how do we get it together? And that's why I give the plug for, you know, kind of the ULI thing. That mm-hmm. got us all in the same room talking. And some of us weren't talking the same language until we got in that same room, you know. So, I mean, I'm not sure that that's something that shouldn't happen more than once a year, but –
1: was and with spin-off the same benchmarking
2: trips to other areas. But in my mind, the maybe the Urban Land Institute becomes a focal point for the energy to to coalesce. I mean, we've beforehand we could do it at Maxines because there weren't that many of us. But now it's it's I mean, I'm meeting people all the time that I didn't yes. know were into this stuff. Like you guys. You yeah.
1: Know? I mean, I think there are so many people who aren't involved professionally and really we don't have any desire to be involved professionally. We just are, are enthusiastic mm-hmm. citizens who want to support the right people who are doing it professionally. So I think the more conversations we have, and it might mean bringing you back on or if you have any people in mind that we should talk with about code. I love geeking out. I don't understand yeah. code. So the more we can talk about it, I think the better so that people understand what to ask for. Well, if you could make any improvements to the trail system specifically do you have any dream improvements and these could be from a development perspective from a usability perspective you have mentioned your son i don't know if we were on the mic when you were talking about that but he uses the trail system a lot so are there any improvements that you would make offhand that you can think of
2: man i'll tell you it's it's Great, we've had uh, especially in Fable, we've had continuity of of really bright, hard working leadership with Matt Mahalovich working on the trail system. Great guy, great dude, yeah, Yeah. Yeah. uh, he's one of my dearest friends. I just Ah, love that cat, uh, anyhow. Man, you know, hard to say that like when he started working on it, I didn't think that (laughs) it'd have the impact that it's had, so it's like. M- more, you know, yeah, more, more, <laughs> like, more. like you know, I'm just an addict for it. So, totally. So, I man, that's one of those things that's just so outstripped my my wildest expectations. I'm really, really proud of what they've done. Dream improves public transportation would be a, a, a rail spur that the or a rail line that kind of mirrored, you know, 49. Man, that's a lot. That's a that's a big luff to get there. It does go through a couple of the downtowns, but man, H plus T, housing plus transportation, is how you need to evaluate yeah. the ha- cost of housing. You know. Well,
0: and, and it seems like with the population growth we're expecting to have in the next twenty years, it's going to become an easier and easier sales proposition to say we need rail transit. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah.
2: I mean, I think you could make if we were really going to try to build towards rail, you could make a make a really strong argument that we're we're thinking too low in, yeah. in Johnsons. You know, we'll have a chunk of units, but it'll be not enough.
1: Well, we have a couple of extra questions. So, what is one thing that everyone in Fayetteville can do today to make a a better city moving forward?
2: I think that we talked about getting involved on the urban nodes. That seems to be a big piece. and Giving the council the impetus to back up what they said that they wanted to do and then therefore give the staff the resources they need to to make those changes. We already have the people. Yeah. It's not like we have to find the people. We've yeah. got the people. We've got a council that's approved a long-range plan. Now, let's let's proactively get get that you know taken care of. And I guess the biggest piece there would be provide support for the long-range plan that the city just put out. Britton Bostick was the primary author from the city standpoint, and will be the champion, and just you know make sure that your council members support that.
1: Yep. Um, uh, we've been emailing yeah, them. They're yeah. probably so sick of hearing from me. Good. Oh, get my them, gosh. Get them
2: sick of you. I can't even email them, yeah. I'm not allowed.
0: Well, and then also, <laughs> do you have any organizations or causes or restaurants or anything, you know, in NWA that you'd like to shout out that you want to share with listeners?
2: Man, I hit um, I hit the Urban Land Institute. You know, that's, that's, a, that's mm-hmm. a big one if you want to be more of an urbanist geek. And you don't have to. You know, have a ton of knowledge to jump in there. It's, it's they,
0: we just they went. Want
2: people. <laughs> yeah, 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 volunteer yeah. for their conference. Yeah, they volunteer. Incredible. Yeah, just volunteer. Yeah. They're always looking for somebody to help a little bit. Um, that's that's a that to me is a a big one locally. That's got that's got lots of support. Uh, most of the things I'm involved with are kind of nationally with a local element. But Allie Quinlan, Matt Petty. Oh yeah, yeah we, with we know. Them. Yeah, they're yeah. all awesome. Yeah. She is so, so, so smart.
0: Yeah. yeah, we've seen her present, and we're like, wow. Yeah, yeah. She <sighs> blows my mind. Yeah. yeah, love her. Yeah. Well, we really appreciate you coming on and sharing. We think this is really just valuable information, thank and you. we just love hearing your perspective on things. So, just appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much.
2: Great. Thank you, guys.